Amen, amen. Well, if you're joining with us this morning, we are uh, jumping back into this series on King Solomon. And, and full disclosure, we're about to jump into really uh, what is one of the more salacious stories in God's word. In fact, this is one of the more memorable. We, we left off just two weeks ago with King Solomon receiving this gift of wisdom that was unlike any king uh, before him. And, and yet this morning, we now are going to find out just how effective this wisdom from God is truly is. And uh, as we look at this testing of Solomon's leadership, I want to talk with you about how to navigate the places in your life where you feel stuck. So let's look. We're going to look at chapter 3, verses 16 through 28. Let's hear now the word of the Lord. Then two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. The one woman said, oh, my Lord, this woman and I live in the same house and I gave birth to a child while she was in the house. Then on the third day after I gave birth, this woman also gave birth and we were alone. There was no one else with us in the house. Only we two were in the house. And this woman's son died in the night because she lay on him. She arose at midnight and took my son from beside me while your servant slept and laid him at her breast and laid her dead son at my breast. When I rose in the morning to nurse my child, behold, he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning, behold, he was not the child that I had born. But the other woman said, no, the living child is mine and the dead child is yours. The first said, no, the dead child is yours and the living child is mine. And thus they spoke before the king. Then the king said, well, this one says, this is my son that is alive and your son is dead. And the other says, no, but your son is dead and my son is the living one. And the king said, bring me a sword. So a sword was brought before the king. And the king said, divide the living child in two and give half to the one and half to the other. Then the woman whose son was alive said to the king, because her heart yearned for her son, oh my Lord, give her the living child and by no means put him to death. But the other said, he shall be neither mine nor yours, divide him. Then the king answered and said, give the living child to the first woman and by no means put him to death. She is his mother. And all of Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered. And they stood in awe of the king because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God endures forever. You ever been stuck between a rock and a hard place? I went digging last week to find out where that phrase came from. And you might remember uh, Homer's Odyssey where this sailor Odysseus is, is faced with this terrible predicament. Um, he's out sailing on this sea and he's come to this impossible place on the water. And he has really two choices before him. He can sail into this, this terrifying sea monster under these cliffs by the shore, or he can sail towards this deadly threat of a, a whirlpool out in the depths of the ocean caused by this other mythological creature. And if he chooses the first, he'll certainly be devoured by this monster along the rocks. If he chooses the latter, he and his men could easily drown. So these two impossible paths lay before him, and as you read this poem, you can't help but think he, he's doomed. 
You know, as I said, we learned two weeks ago, Solomon had asked for this wisdom from the Lord, right? God had come to him in this, this dream, this vision, and he had made him this unique promise. He, he told Solomon, he said, ask me what I shall give to you. And in that moment, Solomon could have asked for anything, right? He, he could have asked for fortune or fame or success, but instead he was brutally honest, just raw with God. He said, Lord, I don't know if I'm coming or I'm going. I have no idea what I'm doing here. Would you just give me an understanding to distinguish between right and wrong? And from that humble request, Solomon has given this wisdom unlike any other king. God showers him with this blessing and he tells him, if you walk in my ways and you keep my statutes, Solomon, I will lengthen your days as king. But now Solomon has come to this, this first major test of his life, right? And, and by the looks of it, everyone in Israel is paying close attention. The case is so shocking. It's, it's so scandalous that the, the judgment of this king will be heard for miles, reverberate for years. And Solomon now finds himself between the rocks and a hard place. Two women, prostitutes, roommates, you might guess they're living in a brothel. They've been living in the, the life of the shadows. And now suddenly their shadows have turned to midnight. Two babies born. One died. The other one is taken while a mother sleeps. Can you imagine? They bring him this heaping pile of, of hot garbage, right? And, and they want to know before this king, what is your judgment? Whose baby is this? And as you ponder the details of, of how these two women even got to this place, this is a heartbreaking story. I mean, what kind of life causes a, a new mother to go at it alone? Verse 18 tells us there was no one else at home in that, in that place. Two women, both now with children, abandoned, both left to fend for themselves. At that time in Israel, to, to see a new mother without family, without brothers or parents or a husband, it was fringe at best. And, and as a woman, to, to be alone in that kind of patriarchal culture, that marked you. And yet that's not the scandalous part, right? The scandalous part is that these two women had been selling their bodies just to make ends meet. The context tells us that they're both pregnant by unknown men. You, know, you say, I, I don't know if the Bible can relate to the mess of my life. Try this out. You know, at that time, impoverished families would sometimes sell their daughters into this unspeakable kind of slavery. In Leviticus 19, God's word speaks directly against this evil. God said, if you allow your daughters into that kind of trade, you, you commit to be a land overcome with depravity. And so not only is this mess like entirely outside of God's plan and purpose, but now these two women are quite literally reaping the darkness of what's been sown. Layers upon layers of brokenness. The king of Israel sits to judge a matter impossible to decipher. I'll never forget, um, we took a group of senior high students on a mission trip to New Orleans. And I remember we came to this row of houses and the mission trip leader was with us in the front seat and he pointed out this house with the porch lights on. And he said, we know for a fact that's a red light house. And I asked him, I said, if you know that and, and the authorities know that, why don't the police shut it down? 
And he said to me, he said, you know, yeah, we could make arrests and we would end up really arresting the victims. They would make bail and come back out and they do it again, right? He said, the, the problem is there are far more people implicated in this crime than you realize. See, and still to this day, right, this kind of evil happens under the nose of people all over this nation, all over this world. It is a tragedy we should pray against as God's people. We should fight against as a people who believe in the dignity of life, that all are made in God's image. And I think before we rush to judgment of these two women, we should acknowledge that we don't know the details behind this tragedy. We just know this is an all-out tragedy. One child has died, the other supposedly stolen from his mother's arms, and yet there's no witness to this alleged crime. There is only allegation. And by all accounts, right, this, this is one woman's word against the other. Look at this in Deuteronomy 19.15. Let me show you how this won't do. It says, a single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed only on the evidence of two witnesses or three witnesses shall a charge be established. See, so Solomon is suddenly stuck between this rock and this hard place, right? How do you corroborate this story? How is he to know who's telling the truth? This is a human life we're talking about, right? There's a child in the balance. This is so heated that these two women are yelling back and forth across the courtroom. The dead child is yours. No, it's not. It's yours. And thus they spoke before the king. You know, the most difficult kind of court we know still to this day is family court. Where you, you have these two people both arguing for the rights to this one child. And the decision that that judge makes will determine an outcome and a trajectory in that child's life that carries on for generations. And for Solomon, the stakes couldn't be any higher. It was his duty alone to carry out the law and order in the land. Look at this in 1 Kings 10, verse 9. The queen of Sheba comes to Solomon, and this is what she says. Blessed be the Lord your God who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel. Because the Lord loved Israel forever, he has made you king that you may execute justice and righteousness. See, this was one of the main duties of Israel's monarch. Whatever lower judicial courts were available, this court was like the supreme court of Solomon's day. And everyone wants to know, what's the verdict? And you think about it, there's really only two options, right? This child has to go into somebody's arms by the end of the day. But instead of paralysis by analysis, look at again what Solomon does, right? He just cuts through all the weeds and to the shock and horror of the room, he says, hmm, bring me a sword. Just imagine two mothers in an all-out shouting match before the throne. They are shouting, they're pointing fingers at each other, arguing back and forth. You can imagine the, the baby wailing in tension, the spit flying with emotion, this high-stakes moment. But, but the king wastes no time. There's no follow-up questions. There's no further investigation. He doesn't ask about how the first child died. He doesn't question whether or not this, this accuser could prove her allegation. There's, there's no cross-examination here. See, because Solomon knows, ultimately, he can't parse those facts. In Solomon's God-given wisdom, he knows those facts aren't the issue. Right, what he's focused on is the main thing. And the main thing this king needs to know is which one of these women has the mother's heart. 
See, and I would argue that that's what wisdom does, right? It sifts through all the mess and all the distraction and it gets to the heart of the matter. Bring me a sword. I would bet in that moment the courtroom went silent, right? Because a king only has so many uses for a sword. And in its context, many commentators explain it's probably not a sword Solomon was calling for. It was probably a sword's men. Solomon says, look, you both want the child, we'll split him 50-50. How does that sound? And the two play right into his hand. And by the end of the day, right, there were these, these, these two people before the king. There was one right and one wrong. There was one pressing the truth, one living a lie. And now their hearts are revealed. And the true mother begs the king to spare her son. While the criminal says, do away with him. I didn't want him anyway. See, up until this point from the outside, both were saying all the right things, right? Both claimed themselves to be real mom. But in Solomon's wisdom, he knew there's something much deeper to parse out within. Look at this in Matthew 12, 36. God says, for by your words, you'll be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. And just when this woman thought she was getting away with the crime of her life, her calloused heart finally revealed its true nature. I'll ask you again, when was the last time you found yourself in need of God's wisdom as you sat between a rock and a hard place? As many of you know, I served seven years down in Houston, Texas, and one afternoon I was driving in the thick of traffic on my way home from work, and this red Mustang pulled up next to me. And this woman leaned out of the car, this, this, this young gal leans out the passenger window and she said, sir, and I rolled the window down, she, she said, you have a flat tire. Now, I'm driving a RAV4. Anybody in the room drive Toyotas? They are notorious for the, the, the tire light, right? Always on, that tire light. And so I look at the dash and it gives me the exact same verdict as this woman. I've got a flat tire. But just as I go to hit the blinker on the side of the road, this woman yells out her window again. She said, hey, just pull over and we'll help you. We have a tire shop down the road. Now, I suddenly found myself stuck, right? Um, I can't explain it, but there was, there was something about that offer that didn't quite sit right with me. The hairs on the back of my neck stood up. Small town and, a small town boy from Grand Junction was like, we're not in Kansas anymore. See, if I, if I stay in traffic... With this presumed flat tire, I'm going to destroy the wheels of my car. But if I pull over, right, I'm at the mercy of this woman and this man who, for some reason, I suddenly don't trust. So I slowed down a bit. I let this other white truck pull up next to me in traffic. And I asked this stranger, I said, hey, can you take a look? I think I might have a flat tire. He looked around my car and he said, no, it looks fine to me. So now I'm shaking. I, I maneuvered away from the Mustang who was still yelling something at me from afar. I got off at the nearest exit and lost him. Later that day at a coffee shop, there's a police officer sitting across from me. And so I got up and went and asked him, I said, what was that? And his eyes got big and he said, my friend, you are a lucky man today. You almost were a victim of a carjacking. See, I want to make something really clear in this story about Solomon's judgment, right? While Solomon may be king, he's actually not the main character of this story. He's not the main actor. God is. God's wisdom is the main lesson here. Look again at verse 28. 
When all of Israel heard the verdict that the king had given, they held him in awe because they saw that he had wisdom from God to administer justice. Do we not find ourselves in complete awe in those unexplainable moments of life where we see God's wisdom at work? See, and we hear all the, kind of, all the time of, of injustice happening in the dark. We, we are constantly fed this news feed of allegations made from one party to another with not enough evidence to corroborate the story. We live in a day where, where truth is impossible to decipher, where sins constantly lurk in the shadow, where we can watch real-time terrorists dragging innocent civilians into the streets in hatred, and we wonder, like, why, God? Are, are you going to rectify that? And we long for justice. And we would love nothing more than to see God's wisdom administer his righteousness. And yet at the same time, if we're honest, much like that other woman, the the criminal, we would cringe if our own sins were brought into the light. Right, we know full well the shadows that that lurk within. Luke 12, 3 says this, Therefore, whatever you said in the dark will be heard in the light. What you've whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. Luke 8, 17 says this, For nothing is hidden that won't be made manifest, nor is anything secret that won't be made known and come to light. Hebrews 4, 12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. See, much like Solomon, we, we have this king named Jesus, right, who sees all and knows all, who is the definition of wisdom, who discerns the heart every time. This is the same God who in 1 Samuel 16, we're told, doesn't judge the outward appearance like humans do, but always looks at the heart. And much like, Solomon's, uh, much like Solomon, right, God's wisdom in Christ perfectly parses out good from evil, It might not be in our time, we we might not see it on our timeline, and yet God's word guarantees it. He has told us by his very scriptures that a day is coming where Jesus from his throne will judge the actions of all. Look at this in Matthew 25. It says this, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne And all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And then the king will say to those on his right, come take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. And then he'll say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed. See, this story of of a man's great wisdom, I think it offers us a a caution, right? And that is that the woman that stole that child, she was convinced she had the king fooled. And yet she walked right into her own trap. Like just when she thought her deception had worked, just when in her bitterness she thought she would get her way, justice was carried out. Her character revealed from the night, her deeds brought into the day's light, her sin revealed before the judge of this king. See, and on the one hand, we all long to see the, the wrongs of this, made, of this life made right, right? But, but on the other, we realize we too have fallen short. We just prayed the words of Psalm 130. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, who could stand? See, it seems to me, even the woman who was proven to be the rightful mother was still living a life. 
of destitute depravity. And the fact is, we all have shadows that we're not proud of, right? We, we all have stories that we'd much rather remain tucked away in the middle of the night. We, we all have these wounds that we, we carry with us that, that have been manifest into broken pieces and places. But my point in all this is this. When you look at your sin, you can't help but find yourself stuck. Because your sin is that which puts the, you in this place between the, the greatest rock and the, 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 the worst hard place we could know. 2 Corinthians 5.10 tells us this, for we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one might receive what is due for what he's done in the body, whether good or evil. See, and if you've almost been carjacked or you, you turn the news on to watch the atrocities in Israel, Well, that's a comforting verse. But if you look in the mirror and you think about your own life, it's kind of a bring me the sword moment. See, but here's the good news, and and don't miss this, hear this. Our King Jesus, much like Solomon, is not just a king of justice, he's also a king of mercy. Did you notice Solomon could have dropped the hammer on this guilty woman? She's still a child. And yet in his wisdom, he weighs the facts and he he simply makes the wrong right and sends her on her way. You know, our father who ensures justice is is also also the one who sent us Jesus Christ. Earlier this week, I was listening to a podcast with Rosario Butterfield who I think gave the most incredible word picture of this reality. She said, you know, if you struggle in your life to know that you are forgiven of your past, if you struggle in your faith with him, you've got to realize, right, um, there is enough mercy and grace and love in one drop of Jesus' blood to cover every sin you've ever committed, and yet he shed it all. I read a story recently of a 61-year-old grandmother self-scanning her groceries at the local Walmart. And as she pulled each item, the the total price tag began climbing. The last item in her cart was this this load of steaks that she had for her family, and she knew she couldn't afford it. The price just didn't match up. And in a split second, she made the mistake of her life. She just put the steaks into the cart and intentionally skipped the scanner. And as she walked out thinking maybe she got away with it, Walmart security intervened. Police were called. She was arrested and questioned. But come to find out, this this grandmother was raising eight children with her autistic daughter. Just a total mess. Layers upon layers. Her, Her husband had died 15 years prior. She was barely keeping her nose above water. She told the officer, she said, I just wanted one night where I felt normal again. And the officer had no, no choice but to write her a citation in that moment, right? And yet this woman had no prior. She hadn't even had a speeding ticket in the last 10 years, but justice had to be done. Later that night, the same officer came, knocked on this woman's door. And this time he didn't bring her a summons to court. This time he brought an entire grocery cart full of food, a bag of steaks in hand, And as the woman sat there stopping, saying, man, just take it back. I committed a crime. There is no reward. I don't deserve any of that. The officer knew all of that to be true, right? But he also knew in his wisdom that this woman's heart had been repentant and changed. He said, I know you messed up. 
but I also know that I paid the bill in full. Charge dropped by management that afternoon. See, to the left, along the rocks, are the wages of our sin waiting to devour us. The penalty of our transgression is death. And yet on the other side, we know full well we can't traverse those waters. There is no one who is righteous. There is not one. And yet it was our king who not only carried out justice, but then navigated the perilous impasse on the cross for us. Oh, that we might be called his sheep, named righteous and blameless, not because of what we've done, but because of what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. Micah 7 is one of my favorite passages in all of scripture. I think it ties all this up in a bow. It says, who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity, passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread over our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all of our sins into the depth of the sea. And if you find yourself stuck this morning, if you wonder what it looks like to have the wisdom of God in your life, Solomon himself gave us the answer in Proverbs. He said it begins with the fear of the Lord. It begins with giving your life to Christ and trusting in him for the forgiveness of your sins and letting his path lead you between the rocks and the hard places. Let me ask for God to help us to do that this week. Will you pray with me? God, I think we can all relate to those places where we find ourselves stuck. God, we're in the mess of our lives. Um, we wonder how, how it is that you will administer justice. God, we look out at a, at a world that is in, in turmoil. And we, we wonder, God, are you still in our midst? Are you still intervening? And yet your word has given us a promise that you sit on the throne now and forevermore. And so God, we return to that promise this morning that one day is coming where all the injustices of this life will be made right. And one day is coming that for those who put their faith and their trust in you, they will be granted a pardon and mercy and grace. And so, God, we, we just bring our broken selves to you now in the light. We, we ask, Lord, that you would pardon us from our sin. God, we don't want to be clever. We just want to be honest and say, Lord, we need you. Oh, Lord, who could stand to the one who sees all? So, Lord, we thank you. We thank you that one drop turned into the spilling of your blood, Lord, for the forgiveness of our sins. And God, as we partake of this meal this morning together, Lord, we ask, would you prepare our hearts to be mindful with gratitude of what you've done for us? And Lord, may we take that gratitude and walk a path, not in our own strength, but by yours. In Jesus' name we trust, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.